Another episode of The Trill, a podcast by The Trillium. My name is Aiden Shimandi. I'm a reporter here at The Trillium. Today, I'm joined by... Uh, Mike Moffat, founding director of The Place Center. And now, the most frequent podcast guest, and naturally, being a Flames fan, we have you on to talk about the recent blockbuster trade with Chris Tanev. Mike, what are your thoughts? We're going to be spending 25 minutes on this, I promise. Okay, well, I'll try and stretch it out. Uh, I, you know, I think like a lot of Flames fans was was hoping for a first, uh, you know, a, a second and a defense only prospect. I think it's a little underwhelming for us. You know, I guess we'll have to see, uh, uh, you know, see what this pick turns out to be. Uh, I don't know. I've seen some scouts, uh, you know, like the I, I can't I can't even pronounce his name. The the the, the Russian defenseman, uh, even though I think he's got five points this year in the AHL, but uh, apparently he's a fairly hard-hitting uh, defense first guy. So, you know, maybe he'll make the big club next year. We'll have to see. So, hockey fans, sorry to disappoint you. This is uh, not a hockey-exclusive podcast, and I hope uh, anyone who tuned in for some actual political discussion hasn't turned it off by now. So, today we're here to talk about international students, which, uh, you know, this, this whole issue around international students seems to have kind of sprung up and taken a hold of headlines rather quickly. But this is something that you've been banging the drum on for quite a while. So hoping we can start with some table stakes for people that aren't necessarily political junkies. When and how did this become such a hot topic? Like, how did we get here? Yeah, this had been building uh, for some time and actually goes back to to the win years. So back, well, actually, probably even earlier to the the, the McGinty years. So back when the liberal government was trying to balance the books, uh, they were holding the line on grants and other kinds of spending to to colleges and universities. But they they basically gave colleges and universities this lifeline of of international students who pay tuitions that are you know five six ten times more uh, sometimes, coupled with some rules that allowed uh, regional colleges like in the north and the southwest to partner with institutions in Toronto and open up these uh, public private partnership branch campuses. We saw a big explosion in the number of international students. It was actually happening. Uh, before the pandemic. It cooled off a little bit during the pandemic just because of border closing and other issues. But over the last year, um, you know, we, we hit record numbers. And if we look at the college level, something like 70 to 75% of all international college students are in Ontario. So this really is a made in Ontario phenomenon. And we've, we've seen the, the federal government now uh, limits uh, student visas because I think there were real concerns about what was going to happen this summer if that trend growth line continued uh, just because the supports and housing aren't aren't available uh, in communities. So if you had colleges, you know, in a place like Kitchener-Waterloo bringing in an extra five or 10,000 students in a market with like zero vacancies, that was going to cause some really big problems. So the first major move from any government on this came, as you just said, in in January when Federal Immigration Minister Mark Miller announced a cap on the number of international student visas and an end to the post-graduation work permit program. Can you explain a bit the the gravity of both of those moves and and how you uh, expect them to affect schools' bottom lines? 
Yeah, so so the cap basically uh, is, is probably going to reduce the number of international students, uh, incoming international students in Ontario by about thirty to forty percent. So it's a it's a massive massive change. Uh, there are a number of, of other rules uh, that were put in place. So it used to be before that uh, an international college or undergraduate student could could bring a spouse over. So you would actually have multiple people coming over um, who, you know, would need somewhere to live, but, but would also, you know, work in, in local labor markets and, and that kind of thing. So uh, they've made some, uh, you know, they've, they've capped the number of, of students that are allowed to come in and basically told the province, like you, you, you come up with some kind of mechanism to, to figure out how these spaces are going to be allocated between institutions, but uh, you need to, to sort it out. So they made some changes there. Um, they're making changes to the post-graduation work permit program. Um, so it's still going to exist, but, uh, you know, they're, they're ratcheting down that. Uh, they're also trying to ratchet down the number of hours international students can work while they're here. So it's a whole series of reforms, but it's basically designed uh, to bring some rationality uh, back into the system to say, okay, yeah, we want international students here, but we don't want a situation where the numbers are outgrowing our capacity to serve them because we're not doing anybody any favors. And actually the biggest victim would be the international students themselves who can't find somewhere to live because there's more students than there are beds. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about this and use language like post-secondary schools, I think that can kind of obscure the different realities that colleges face versus universities. So hoping you can tease that out for us a bit, is this something that affects both kinds of post-secondary schools the same way, or is there a kind of disproportionate impact here? Well, the growth had been largely on the college side. There had been some uh, universities that had grown quite a bit. Uh, U of T's numbers uh, went, have gone up over the last decade or so. Uh, Algoma uh, had a public-private partnership in the GTA, so they're one where their numbers went up quite a bit. On the college level, that's where we've seen real growth, and and that growth uh, has come in a variety of forms. So Conestoga College, for instance, over the last decade has really expanded, opened up a bunch of branch campuses all across southern Ontario. Um, other colleges uh, like Lambton College have opened up uh, or partnered with private institutions uh, to open up uh, these public-private partnership arrangements and seen large increases, again, mostly in the GTA. And then you have a handful of private schools, like like schools that train pilots and, and that kind of thing, which you know are, are only about five to ten percent of the market, but are significant as well. The challenge is we don't actually know who's going to be most affected by the cuts because the province itself has to determine how many permits each institution gets. So it very well could decide, hey, actually, we want to disproportionately favor colleges or disproportionately favor universities, or maybe we don't want to touch the purely private side. So we we don't actually know how this is going to play out. And there's going to be a lot of uh, jockeying between, you know, between the colleges and universities, but also within the colleges. And, you know, we've seen a couple of college presidents fight each other, uh, at least verbally make some statements along each other. I think we're going to see more of that because the system that the province has to put into place is essentially zero sum. So if the universities are getting more spots, the colleges are, are getting fewer or, or vice versa. Yeah, just to shout out our uh, sister publication within the Village Media Network, uh, Cambridge Today has been doing a lot of reporting on international students. And they were the, the ones first on that story where 
Uh, some college presidents use some language that I don't necessarily think I can use on this podcast because I don't want to get the little explicit designation on the streaming platforms. Um, but if, if anyone is not familiar with that, I would uh, highly recommend you check it out on your own time. Um, but but getting back to the talking about the cap itself and and specifically the response from the Ontario government. Colleges and universities minister Jill Dunlop is, is clearly none too pleased with the action the feds have taken. But she did announce a, a suite of measures after the cap came down. Two of the ones that, that caught my eye were putting a pause on those private-public partnerships and promising to require all schools guarantee housing options are available for incoming students. And I'm wondering if we can get your thoughts on those moves. Like, Are, are they legitimate steps? So the uh, eliminating the public-private partnership, or at least new public-private partnership, is you know essentially locking the barn door after the horses have, have run out. Because uh, one of the changes that the federal government has made is that incoming students into one of these uh, institutions would no longer be eligible for a work permit after graduation. So that was essentially going to dry these things up anyway. Essentially, there's there's going to be no market for these things. So. Yeah, I suppose it made official what economics was was going to make happen anyway. So, you know, that's I, I, I think there, there's not much there. Uh, you know, the, the rules around requiring uh, students to or, or institutions to, you know, be able to house people. I think we're going to need to see what the, the details are on that. I mean, it's all very vague at this point, but I, I think at a high level, it's the right idea, right? That, uh, you know, we want to support the institutions who are doing the right things, who are building the residences or working with uh, private housing providers near campus to to provide housing. So I think at a high level, I think that makes sense. I think we really need to, to see the details on that to see, okay, you know, is this, is there something there or, you know, is this more aspirational? Now colleges, uh, if I'm not mistaken, don't really have residences in the same way that, that universities do. So I'm wondering if we're thinking through how a school could guarantee housing options are available for incoming students. Is this something that is going to be easier or more difficult depending on what kind of institution you are? Yeah, I think it's certainly going to be more difficult for the colleges. Now, there are colleges, some colleges do have residences, but they're they're pretty limited. Um, and, and overall, it's a lot, a lot of just the sort of path dependency in the system, right? The, you know, the, we, we call them community colleges, or we usually call them community colleges, because they were designed to educate people who are already living in the community, right? So there weren't any really housing needs that uh, you know, if you were a Londoner and you wanted to go to college, you went to Fanshawe. If you were living in Kitchener-Waterloo, you'd go to Conestoga and so on. But now you've got all these uh, international students coming in. Well, obviously, they're, they're not local, so they need somewhere to live. And uh, you know, a lot of schools don't really, you know, have that capacity. They're not they're not used to, you know, acting as, you know, uh, developers or building contractors or that kind of thing. So I do think some of these institutions are, are really going to struggle with this. I think there are things that they can do to, again, uh, partner with private companies off campus to say, OK, if you've got, you know, you've got this. Uh, underused building or you've got a hotel or whatever, could we convert that into uh, into a student residence? But overall, yeah, I, I do think uh, colleges, some colleges are really going to struggle with this because they really haven't had to do it uh, over the last 40, 50 years, the same, the same way that universities have. So Jill Dunlop, the, the college's minister, had that response to the Fed's cap, but but the big moment was this week when she announced uh, $1.3 over three years 
for post-secondary schools to help deal with that pre-existing funding shortfall that we were talking about earlier, uh, plus whatever the shortfall will that uh, will be created by this international students cap. Now that that 1.3 is, is a top line number. It's kind of yeah. 900 million going going specifically to the schools with some kind of other different buckets of of funding. But uh, like like what will it what will this do? Will will it help? Well, it will certainly help, but it won't uh, get us n- anywhere near where we need to be. And the, the rating agencies themselves, like uh, DBRS uh, Morningstar, have basically said the same thing, that this is not going to be sufficient to cover the sort of debts that uh, universities, some universities and colleges are, are going to incur. Uh, the, the the provincial uh, blue ribbon panel, you know, had a number that was basically twice this level of what colleges and universities uh, would need. And, you know, one of the big challenges for these schools is the, that the provincial government is uh, blocking them from from raising do- domestic tuition. And, you know, you can see where they're coming from that. Yeah, we are in an affordability crisis. And I think the last thing anybody wants to do is, is charge students more. But um that you know, schools basically have three sources of revenue. Um, it's domestic students, and we can't really charge them anymore by by provincial rules. Um, it's international students. Well, that's you know that's drying up. So the only other place you can really get money is through governments. And yes, this one point three million will help. This one point three million over, I, I believe, it's three years will help, but it's nowhere near the financial hit that these institutions are going to take. I will note that uh, DBRS Morningstar, the credit rating agency that you mentioned off the top, is uh, where current Ontario Finance Minister Peter Bethlenfalvy used to work. So I wonder if there were uh, any interesting conversations that uh, that Mr. Bethlenfalvy had with his uh, his former colleagues. But um, but, but that is neither, neither here nor there. Now, you mentioned the three ways that colleges and universities can raise revenue. There's domestic tuition, international tuition, and and government grants. You're talking about how a lot of those really seem to be cut off and we're not sure if the the provincial government is going to come in with more money. So, like, is there any way that colleges can bridge that gap or do you think we might be looking at a situation where faculty have to be laid off, programs have to be cut and the post-secondary sector shrinks? Yeah, and that that very very well may happen. Um, you know, and even on the cost side, that's difficult for a lot of institutions because of uh, collective uh, bargaining agreements, uh, because of um, you know the, the sort of infrastructure you have, the buildings, the classrooms, like all of that, all of that stuff you have to pay for. You know, whether or not it's getting used, which is something we actually saw during the during the pandemic. So there is a real risk for a number of institutions for a, a Laurentian type uh, situation where um, you can't cut enough costs to you know make up for uh, losses in, in, in revenue so and it, and and I think the challenge is it's going to be really uneven across the sector that I think you you've got some schools that are going to be okay like I don't think anybody's going to be made better off by this but you'll have some schools that go okay yeah we take a percent or two percentage point cut here or there maybe we we hire fewer faculty uh you know increase class sizes and you know just because of retirement and attrition we can kind of work this out and then other institutions i i think are going to find themselves in, in real trouble which then creates a situation for the for the province of okay how do you deal with that situation you know do you let an institution or two go under or are you going to have to come out with some kind of bailout package so safe to say this issue isn't really going anywhere anytime soon. 
No, I, I, I don't think it is. Unfortunately, I think we, we may transform this issue. We may have uh, some peace in our time, but I think overall, uh, you know, with the, you know, we have about two dozen universities, uh, two dozen public colleges. Uh, so, you know, about 40 some odd institutions. And yeah, I, I think we're going to find a few that run into trouble over the next, say, 12 to 24 months. So absolutely, I, I think we'll still be talking about this, you know, in the run up to the, the, the next election. So safe to say this issue isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but unfortunately this uh, podcast episode is. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Join us again next time. Thank you for having me.